Hello, and welcome to uh, episode one official of what's now known as Carrie's Carversations. I uh, was going through the uh, emails and everything I could uh, create for the website and everything, uh, and I found out that carversations at gmail.com was already taken, so uh, I decided to go with Carrie's Carversations, that way you know it's mine, and I can still use the term conversations because this is pretty much what this is, it's me having a conversation while I'm driving the car. Uh, so, uh, in my first pilot episode, which I did, uh, uh, posted about a week ago, uh, maybe a little uh, less than that, I outlined my plan of what I want to do with this whole series. My idea is I wanted to talk about things that I uh, want to get off my chest, things that I like to talk about uh, and discuss while I'm driving in the car, and to sort of uh, have a little fun doing it. Um, so I've created a Gmail account called uh, Carrie's Carversations at gmail.com. So anytime you want to um, send me an email and ask me some questions, or if you just have any comments like uh, you suck, or um, you really suck, or I can't believe how much you suck, uh, feel free to send those along, and I'll ignore them as much as you ignore me. Okay. So... Uh, Let's start off by telling you a little bit about what's happened uh, in this little uh, last little while. Uh, I did a show for the first time in ages. Uh, I've done a few open mics uh, in the last few months since COVID happened, um, but I haven't done any paid gigs out of town uh, probably since uh, last year, to be honest. I think the last few shows I've had have been local shows here in Halifax, and I haven't gone out of town. I was supposed to go out of town in February of this year, but uh, due to weather, not COVID, but due to weather, the headliner couldn't make it into town. So because of that, my show was postponed to later this year, and I'm guessing with the bubble still going on, uh, I live in Nova Scotia in uh, in Canada, and in Nova Scotia, we're part of what they call the maritime bubble. Uh, the three provinces in the immediate area plus Newfoundland are in what they call the Atlantic bubble. So our provinces, if you live in the province and you've been here already, you're not required to quarantine for any amount of time. If you come in from out of the province, like if you drove in from Quebec or flew in from Ontario or Alberta or another place or the States, um, you're expected to quarantine for two weeks before you're allowed out and into the public. And the reason for that is they want to make sure that if you do have COVID-19 after two weeks, you would know because uh, during that two-week quarantine period, you might start to you know, get the symptoms or feel sick, and then you'd know, and then they would treat you after you've been isolated. And if you don't have it, and after two weeks you're perfectly fine, well, you would just continue to do whatever you wanted to do. Um, so because of that, uh, a lot of the shows here, like our comedy club here in Halifax, Yuck Yucks, uh, part of the cha- chain of national comedy clubs, uh, has been closed and will remain closed uh, because the club feels that our club uh, would not be able to survive on its own uh, without c- comedians coming in from Toronto uh, and other parts of the country. And so because of that, they uh, don't think it's a good idea to reopen the club and have comedians have to wait two weeks to quarantine before they're allowed to perform. That's a money waster and a money loser, so they won't do that. So because of that, 
there is no comedy club in Halifax. So uh, my only option has been to do the open mics. And uh, I just happened to contact a comedian in Sydney, Nova Scotia, which is a city on the very far east coast of Nova Scotia on the island of Cape Breton, which is joined to the mainland of Nova Scotia by a causeway, a land bridge, which uh, is in the Cancel Causeway, this strip of water that goes in between the two land masses. And I told Clifton I'd love to do a show, and Clifton uh, was uh, gracious enough to set one up. And uh, we had seven comedians on the show. There were supposed to be six, but we added a seventh because one of the local comedians uh, asked to be put onto the lineup at the last minute, and they said, sure. So we had a really good time last night. And the thing about going to a show and coming home from a show is the show itself is fun. It's always good to go and perform in front of people. And if you're someone like myself who lives to perform, it's an absolute uh, you know, joy to go out in front of people and have a good time and have them enjoy what you're doing and, and have laughs and everything. But the other thing about it is that when you're driving to a show and you're coming home from a show, as we did last night, because we didn't stay overnight, we, we, we drove to the show and we drove right home afterwards, um, is that you are going to have a conversation with the people in your car both on the way there and on the way back. And I've driven with a number of comedians now from here to do shows in other places. And time always goes so much better when you can have a conversation during the trip. And it goes even better when the conversation is engaging and informative. And we talked, uh, the two comedians and myself, uh, last night, on the way there and on the way back, made an eight-hour trip feel like two. It literally literally didn't feel like four hours and uh, to get there and didn't feel like that to get home and we stopped maybe twice on the way there and once no sorry twice on the way home because we stopped for gas both times and we also got uh, a little something on the way uh, there and back as well to eat because um, I think we had to stop somewhere to get something to drink and something anyway uh, so the the thing about uh, being a comedian and traveling a lot is the conversations conversations that you have, and a lot of times those conversations stay in the car, and you don't talk about them out of the car because they are sometimes uh, well. A lot of times we we might talk about other people in the scene, we might talk about the scene itself, we may talk about things uh, that we don't really want to share with other people. So it's it's best to keep it to ourselves, and and that's that's only fair. Uh, other things, too, that we talk about, maybe personal items or personal beliefs or uh, sometimes politics or religion. Uh, last night there was a bit of pol- political talk near the end. And it was uh, it was engaging, uh, but we kept it to a level that, uh, which I, I, again, respect, is that I, we kept it at a level where uh, we didn't start yelling at each other and, and you know calling each other stupid names and things like that because we didn't follow each other's political beliefs and that. And, I mean, that's the lovely thing about having a conversation. If you can go through a conversation like that and respect somebody at the end of it that's awesome that is so that is so great and i prefer that a lot of times i i prefer that we have those kind of conversations so anyway um so we had that and uh we um we we talked about a lot of different things and uh, i got a lot of stuff off my chest and it was it was funny the contrast between uh ourselves uh as we were driving home last night because uh, one of the comedians was extremely uh ex- like on a high from what happened and just could not uh you know 
just could not believe how much of a good time they had and how uplifting it was for them and the the other comedian uh, you know was taking it in stride and was just enjoying the fact that they had the show and for me I just I had this weird feeling of just I I don't want to say disappointment but almost almost like um it's hard to say. Part of me was feeling, yeah, that was a great show, but I could have done better. Yeah, it was a great show, but I made this mistake and that mistake. Yes, it was a great show, uh, but um, I, I, you know, I might have, you know, done this or I might have done that. And and the fact that I know that this might be the last show for a long time because, unfortunately, financially, I have had some really serious setbacks uh, in terms of finances because of the fact that COVID's come and because I normally would do at least one show a month. Um, I have this car that I drive. The car that I drive is uh, is being paid for. I don't own it completely. I still have to make payments on it to finish paying for it and it'll take me another five years uh, to pay for it because it's an expensive car and it's probably the most expensive car I've ever owned. And it's not even an expensive car. It's like a mid-range car. But for me, uh, on my wages, a mid-range car is very expensive. Not to mention the fact that my rent money is very expensive. Where I live, there is no rent control, and my rent is half of my paycheck. So every month, one paycheck goes towards the rent, and the rest goes towards my bills. And that has not been easy, especially having lost my income from doing comedy shows. So by doing you know, the second job, I, I'm starting to even things out and make things a little easier on me. But uh, the downside is that means that I don't have time for anything other than work because I'm working a lot. And because of that, uh, that means that uh, for me to do anything other than work, it's, it's not a priority. So open mics, done. I, I really can't afford the time off. And, uh, Anything else? Uh, it, I might have a few shows coming up here and there, um, so I might try those. But otherwise, it's going to be just uh, completely working. And I think that's part of what bothered me last night was as we were driving home, I kept thinking to myself, yeah, but that's going to be the last show for quite a while, and who knows when I can do it again. But I posted on my Facebook page, and I said about how this is one of those things in life that you have to deal with. And just like uh, with love, uh, comedy is a lot like love for me because when I was in love, I had to have constant reaffirmation from my girlfriend to uh, remind me that she still loved me. And um, I didn't talk about it much in the posting because I just made it a generic post, but I'll talk a little bit about it here. The thing about me was in high school, I, I met a girl. Like, I, I went on a few dates, and I had a, one or two short-term girlfriends when I was in high school uh, that lasted maybe a week or two, and then it just turned out they just were not as interested as they thought they were, and they broke things off, and, you know, I respected that at the time. Uh, but it was it was the honesty that I really appreciated because, you know, you can tell when someone's not interested and they're still saying they're interested, but, you know... Um, there is no interest and they need to let it go and a lot of times in high school they did which I appreciated and I find in my adult life they don't do that as much and they do this thing called the fadeaway which I may have talked about before where they just um, slowly disappear from my life and pretend that I never existed because they just don't have the gumption or the um, the wherewithal to admit that they're not interested in anymore and just simply say we're done and we're over with fair enough that's what they want to do. That's what they want to do. Um, 
but be honest about it. That's my big thing is be honest about it, you know. At least say, you know, you're just not interested. Anyway, I met this girl, and uh, she was absolutely beautiful. Uh, to me, she was, the, and she still remains, the most beautiful woman I've ever dated. And, um, well, of course, because she's the first one I ever fell in love with, and, and uh, first one that uh, said she was in love with me. And the thing with that was that uh, she would do things all the time to tell me how much she loved me and, and show me how much she cared. And one of the things I'd mentioned in my post was that uh, we'd be cuddling and she would sing to me uh, the song Arms of Mary uh, by a group called Chilliwack, but she changed it to Arms of Carrie. And uh, the main chorus is, I wish I was lying in the arms of Mary. And she would say, I wish I was lying in the arms of Carrie. And then we would cuddle and, and you know, be all contented and cute and everything else. Uh, but the thing is... Uh, you know, anybody that would have that happen to them would simply say, well, that's amazing. And, uh, you know, I'm in love with this person. They're in love with me. And I'm so content and happy and go on with their lives. But with me, she might do that with me, uh, at, say, seven o'clock at night. And by 10 o'clock at night, I'd be home by myself thinking, well, yeah, she said that, but she didn't mean it. And, you know, and I'd need confirmation again. I'd need affirmation again. I'd need something to tell me that she was interested. If I had the internet in those days, um, I would probably be texting her 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the time. And I would have driven her out of her freaking tree. She would just literally have probably killed me. Uh, but thank God I didn't. So I just had to deal with it and just live with that. That's my feeling. Um, when I look back on it, I realize that you know, it's just that's the thing about low self-esteem. You have to constantly be reminded that someone cares about you. And a lot of the time, I didn't trust that she cared about me and she loved me. And I would ask questions sometimes when we had you know moments together where we would be talking about things. And I would ask her like, you know, what what is it about me that you love? Like, why do you love me? Like, why why me? What what's what about me? is lovable because I didn't get it. I still don't get it to some respects. Um, but I've had to learn to accept when someone loves me because you, you know, you, you can't expect an answer. Like my, my brain thought in high school and it still does, unfortunately, is that I'm not a lovable person and I'm not worthy of love. So if you love me, there's got to be something about me that you see that I don't. What is it? What is it about me that makes you want to be with me, that makes you think that I'm worthy of being in love with? And, you know, they would just simply say, I'm just in love with you, and, and that's it. And, and she would say that to me uh, at the time. She would say, you know, I, I love you because you, you are such you are who you are. Because really, how can you put uh, any kind of emphasis on, on, a, on, a, on a reasoning for love? R love is love, you know? When people are in love, does there have to be a reason for it? Does there have to be an explanation? And my brain, there did. There had to be. You had to have a reason for it. You couldn't just love me. You had to have a reason why you were in love with me. But I now know that love is love, and there is no reason to it sometimes, you know? We talked uh, in, our, in the travel last night. We talked about um, attraction, and I talked about how I, my, my biggest uh, problem was online dating, because a lot of times I would go into online dating sites and I would have women contact me that I had no interest in and uh, they would get mad at me because I said I was looking for someone younger than they are because they'd be older than me, but sometimes by a fair margin, by like five to eight years. 
And they would say, well, why can't you grow up with someone like me who's older? And I'd say, because I was married to someone for 15 years who was older than me, and I want to try to be with someone who's younger than me. And they get mad at me. And as one of the comedians said last night, uh, the same thing I said, but this is funny because here they are, they're older than me, and they're trying to contact me, and they're mad at me because I'm looking for someone younger. Uh, and they're looking for someone younger, but how dare I look for someone younger when they're looking for someone younger? To me, that's kind of silly. But um, I think a lot of times when I say I'm looking for someone younger, someone thinks I mean like someone in their 20s. And I don't. I'm, I'm 55 years old, and I'm, I'm, I think the youngest I would ever go for is maybe 42 you know, I think that would be young enough that I, I, you know, that it's still younger than me. But I mean, I don't, I don't want someone in their twenties. That's just ridiculous. You know, I don't want, so I don't want to be dating somebody who's going to be, you know, in ten years is going to be trying to change my diaper as well as uh, any child that we might have had. And I don't think me having a child at fifty-five is a good idea anyway, because you know, what kind of a dad am I going to be at fifty-five when I'm seventy years old, seventy-five years old, and my kid wants to borrow the car? I'm going to say no. He's going to push me over and say, yeah, whatever, old man not going to happen so you know unless i was extremely wealthy and rich and i could just have someone else take care of my child and then i could hire someone to beat up my kid (laughs) yeah anyway so um so the idea of dating and love and everything uh it's 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 very interesting because to me it's such a a weird concept that um we have that uh, you know that that uh, i have this need to be constantly affirmed on why people like me and you know why people uh, are in love with me and i think that um for the most part i'm over that now i think for the most part i just accept that people like me or don't like me and i think the one thing that has been tough to deal with is knowing that people don't like me because uh, I always feel like I go overboard to make people like me, and when they don't like me, I'm not just offended, I'm upset, because I don't see why anybody couldn't like me. Which is funny, because I don't think I'm a good person, but I, but I do think I'm a likable person. And I think that's what's ironic, is that I, as much as I um, don't think people like me, I accept that people think I'm likable. Make sense? No, it doesn't, but there you go. Um, so, the big thing is, is that uh, I know for a fact there's people that don't like me in this world, and uh, there's nothing I can do to change that. And uh, you know, maybe later on they might find something about me that they like, or they might I might say or do something that changes their mind. Uh, but in the, in the meantime, uh, I have to accept there's people that don't like me, and I know there's people I don't like. Uh, I've met a few people doing comedy shows. Like I've said, when you do comedy shows and you travel in cars with people for long trips, there are sometimes people that you can travel with that make your trip miserable. They are either very opinionated and uh, their opinions are very abrasive and uh, they spend the, the entire trip making your life hell or they don't want to talk to you at all. Uh, now, there's one comedian, uh, I won't name names, but we, we didn't talk at all. But that was because the comedian I was with is not a big talker. And I understood that. when we were On the way there, I didn't understand it. On the way home, I did. So on the way there, I was a little put off because I thought they didn't want to talk to me. Uh, 
Then I found out that they explained that they're not a big talker in the car, and they did apologize to me and said, we, I hope you didn't, you know, weren't offended by this. It's just that's who I am. I don't talk in the car. And I said, oh, that's that's perfectly fine as long as I know. I'm, you know, I was worried I was being annoying, and I just found out that just they, they don't like to engage in the car. And they really aren't much of a discussion person. So we listened to music, and the nice thing was is that... Uh, we listened to Ozzy's Boneyard, which is a channel on Sirius XM, which plays uh, mostly metal music uh, from you know uh, Ozzy Osbourne's perspective, uh, I guess, or his choices, or maybe just his programming or his programmers or whatever. But Ozzy, uh, Ozzy's channel plays a lot of old hair metal that I haven't heard in decades and a lot of music that uh, I haven't heard before from bands that I know of or may not have known. And we bonded listening to that music, and it was just amazing. Every so often a song would come on, and he'd go, oh, that's so good. And I'm like, yeah, I love this song, and we'd listen to it, and it was great. Uh, I've, had, I've also at times when I've been in a car with people, and they just don't want to talk to me, and they keep their answers short, and they're just not, they just want to sleep. And I'll, I'll respect that. You just want to sleep in the car? That's fine. You know, I, you know I, I respect that you're tired and you want to sleep. And uh, I like driving. And I've got ways to occupy my time. I've driven many a times uh, for many a reason uh, and driven by myself. And I can entertain myself for a long time. I can think about uh, ideas and sketches. Or uh, sometimes I try to remember song lyrics and I'll think of them in my head and uh, or I'll just put on something on the radio that they don't mind it's playing, and uh, they'll put ed- you know ear earplugs in or something, and I'll listen to something on the radio, uh, you know. But there are some people that I've traveled with that I really uh, have wished uh, on on occasions that I could push them out of the car and leave them on the side of the road because they are so annoying and so aggravating that I uh, just you know can't stand them. So I understand. You know, if someone doesn't like me, because I know as much as I hate to admit it, there are people that I don't like. And I've always hated to admit that. I've always hated there are people I don't like because I don't think that's productive and I don't think it's fair to not like somebody. But you have to admit that there are people you can't like everybody. You can't love everybody, you know? So anyway, to uh, to, to make a long story short, um, it was, uh, it was uh, interesting having our conversations yesterday and it was interesting thinking about uh, love and uh, the reason why I had these issues in high school. In high school, I, I, I kept a journal for two years because uh, when I was 15, I was 14 turning 15, I didn't understand the whole idea of why people were attracted to people. I had a number of girls I tried to ask out when I was in high school and they had no interest in me whatsoever. And I didn't know how to deal with that. I didn't know how to deal with the fact that there were people out there that uh, didn't want to be with me and, uh, and the reasons why. So for me, uh, when someone did finally want to be with me, it was a mystery. You know, like why, you know. Because, I mean, I dated two or three girls before I met the girl that I fell in love with. Um, and uh, they were sort of... Interested but not interested. There was a there was a standoffishness of it. There was a there was a sort of non-committal like I like you but I'm not going to commit to liking you. Whereas this girl that fell in love with me and I fell in love with her, uh, there was commitment. There was interest. There was love. There was uh, feelings. There was everything that comes in being with somebody and that you care about and want to be with. So, for me, that was amazing, and uh, I really appreciated the experience um but 
again, because of all the girls that I had wanted to be with before that didn't want to commit to me, because of the girls that I had been bef- asked out before that had no interest in me, and, and would often, I'd hear the words, ew, um, I didn't think there was anything about me that was attractive that would make anybody interested in with me. Um, and I mean, to be fair, I was not the most attractive person growing up. Um, you know, to, in my, I remember when we first moved to Brampton, I, I, we lived in a small little community called Pine Grove, which was outside of Woodbridge, Ontario. And in Pine Grove, uh, I was a very shy person and I didn't talk much to people. And the people that knew me knew I talked a lot. But the people that didn't know me, I hardly said a word to. And uh, we left Brampton, uh, left uh, Woodbridge, Pine Grove, and moved to Brampton. And everything had to change because I no longer could be the shy person that I was. And I had to change and adapt to the new environment and change and adapt to the, the, the different people that were there. Because going from a small little community of Pine Grove, which is like a tiny little uh, village outside of this smaller town, which is outside of this big city, uh, we were in farm country, and we were in an area where there were a lot of luxury homes and uh, people with high incomes in between people like ourselves that were uh, middle class to low income and were not making a lot of money. So, like, uh, it was just a very, uh, very... um, 50s kind of environment everybody would say gosh and darn hardly anybody ever swore we listened to country music we listened to a little bit of pop music uh you know we we had pop and chip parties and things like that then i moved to brampton and people are listening to hard rock and and bands like kiss and judas priest and and heavy metal and and rush and uh, they're smoking pot in grades Eight, seven and eight and they're having parties with girls and and uh, sneaking alcohol and and doing things that i just couldn't fathom so for me the whole thing was just such a, a weird experience and not to mention on top of that i lived in an area i lived on my street in pine grove which was completely populated with girls there was one other guy besides myself uh well, other than this one family, but this one family sort of really didn't engage much with the other people. They sort of stayed within their own family unit, and they didn't really play with everybody on the street. But um, everybody on my street that, that got together and, and had social contact and played and you know went and played uh, baseball and, and soccer and all these games and things, uh, we were all hanging out, but they were almost entirely girls. Uh, just myself and my friend Kenneth were the only two guys on that street that would, you know, hang out and stuff. And uh, so from that, uh, I'm not, ha- I'm having gone through puberty yet, and I'm surrounded by women. And then we moved to Brampton, and I hit puberty, and I'm surrounded by guys. The, you know, we it went from a ratio of 90% girls to 2% guys, or whatever, 98% girls to 2% guys, to uh 95% guys and 5% girls. There was maybe three or four girls on my street, and that was it. So, and then here I am going through puberty, and I'm like, now what do I do? So, uh, anyway, um, in high school, in public school, uh, I hadn't cut my hair because my dad used to take me to a barber shop that cost next to nothing to cut my hair. And suddenly I have to go from that to uh, hairdressing salons in Brampton where they want uh, an arm and a leg you know, for, for my dad uh, to cut my hair. So I cared, my hair didn't get cut because he wasn't paying that much money to cut my hair. And the only other choice he had was to take me to his work and have my hair cut by the barbers there where we used to live because dad worked still where we used to, where we used to live. 
and he would do that instead. And because that was too expensive and too time-consuming, he just gave up. And I got to have my hair really long and really shaggy, and I had this whole thing of hair on my head. And I also had this thing about showering. I wasn't a big fan of showering. And uh, my hair, uh, I, I had really bad dandruff. And you know that scene, if you've ever seen the movie The Breakfast Club, where Ali Sheedy uh, is bent over her desk and she shakes her head on top of her desk to put uh, dandruff on her on her paper to make it look like snowflakes or something like that. I used to do that. When I saw that in the movie, I was like, oh my God, I'm not the only person that did that. I had really severe dandruff that would do, would do that because I wouldn't wash my hair. I wouldn't shampoo. And uh, I just, you know, didn't, I smelled bad and I was a, a terrible person. Um, you know, and then I realized one day someone said to me, well, you know, if you want girls to find you attractive and notice you, uh, maybe take care of your person, uh, you know, take care of you and, uh, you know, make your appearance a bit more appealing. And I was like, oh, okay. So I actually have a picture of me, uh, where instead of wearing dirty jeans and t-shirts and, uh, and, you know, uh, jean jackets and things like that and looking like a total bum, uh, I've got a picture of me wearing a, uh, a, a winter coat like a fall coat and i'm wearing sweaters over top of sweater vests over top of my shirts and i'm wearing uh, a pair of uh, better shaped jeans and 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 better shoes uh so i mean i'm trying at this point to change my appearance and make myself more appealing by this point and uh change how people look at me but i'm still getting ew and you know that, that that's where you give up and say, "Well, there's nothing I can do. I've, I've tried to make myself more appealing. I've tried to make myself look nicer. It's not working, so I'll give up." But I grew into my looks, and I was more attractive by that. Like that was grade nine. By the time I reached grade ten and eleven, I was more attractive. Women were interested in me. I was going out on dates, and uh, things changed. But that whole thing inside my head didn't change because I still heard ooh in the back of my head. I still heard uh and I'd never go out with y'all. Oh my god. So and but it's funny um little things that come up in my head every so often and I I have a friend John who I talk to on the phone uh, at least once a month if not to once every two weeks or so. And we talk about things uh and uh, anything that comes up that's uh, uh that's been interesting and and uh things we've remembered from high school and uh, we were on a field trip somewhere and we were coming home on the bus on this field trip and uh, one of my friends Jonathan uh, was being picked on and I don't know why usually he was just such a nice guy and he was such a, a pushover that people would pick on him a lot and I didn't like it because when I saw that it reminded me of me and I get I used to get picked on a lot and I still did in high school but not as much as Jonathan did unfortunately and this one girl was picking on Jonathan, like literally smacking him and being a real pain in the butt to him. And I remember uh, I got tired of seeing this and I yelled at her to stop picking on Jonathan. And this girl looked at me and she was giving me the attitude like, you know, you want a piece of me, you come and get me. And I just said, you know, you try me. And I, I was mad and no one had ever seen me mad. No one had ever seen me angry because I rarely got angry i rarely yelled at anybody i i didn't ever show any sign of anger when i was when people were picking on me i would just cower and and just want to walk away i didn't want to engage in a fight i didn't want to get get into a fight 
and this girl had you know she she basically challenged me and said you know you want some of this you know you you know you you want to fight we'll go for it and i just i did not back down and i just simply said you sit down and you shut up for the rest of this bus ride and if you even make a peep i will come up there and she she saw that i was serious and she saw that i was not backing down and she sat down and left jonathan alone and the funny part as i said to my friend john on the phone the funny part for me was the look she gave me which was it was a look of oh my god i'm in love with you and and she kept giving me these looks and and these little like smiles and that and i'm thinking i just basically challenged you to a fight because you were picking on my friend and now you're sort of giving me these these looks of you know you're interested in me or something that's weird but i guess for some w- women they like a confident man and if i'm not backing down from a fight i'm guessing that for her that was a sign of confidence i don't know you know and it didn't make a difference because it wasn't like i was going to ask her out anyways and uh, but i mean you never know maybe if i had asked her out afterwards she would have been like yeah i like a guy that can be tough with me i don't know but it's those rare occasions where weird things like that happen and uh, you know there is this uh, confidence that comes out and that women appreciate. Um, but I mean, I'm not a confrontational person by nature. I try not to be. I try to be open and discussing things, and and uh, I don't like to be the person that's uh, you know abrasive or uh, overly um, judgmental or whatever you want to call it. I just want to be me and have a nice time and leave it at that. So, um, but. Going forward from here, um, I learned about the fadeaway, and I think I mentioned this uh, last time, and uh, the fadeaway has answered a lot of questions for me. Uh, And if I didn't mention it before, very simply, the fadeaway is a song by a group called Garfunkel and Oates, uh, who are a comedy duo, and they write these really funny songs about uh, life and experiences and things like that from a woman's perspective. And the fadeaway is the song they talk about where they... um, they talk about how guys, they they meet them, they go on a date with them, and they have a really good time. Uh, and even though there's nothing wrong with the person, they just feel that there's no reason why anything's going to continue with them. So they end the relationship. But unfortunately, instead of ending the relationship by saying, this is over and we need to you know separate, they just stop talking to the person and ignoring them. <coughs> now... Um, when I was living with somebody uh, 12 years ago, uh, I could tell that things were over, uh, or at least that things were not going well because uh, the attitude from the girl I was dating uh, was different. And because I was living with her, the fade away is not an option. It, she tried to fade away, but you can't when you live with somebody because they're there. They sleep with you in the same bed. They see you every morning. They see you every night. You can't just pretend that they're not there anymore and, and walk away from them because they're still living there. And uh, for her, uh, she just tried to slowly sort of back herself out of my life. And when that didn't work, uh, because I was confronting her and saying, look, you know, you know, I know something's different. I know something's not right. Can we please discuss it? And that's when she said, look, I don't love you anymore. Uh, Things have changed and I don't feel the same way anymore. And uh, I basically want this to end. But you can still stay here and pay rent. 
<laughs> and I said, no, thank you. Uh, because, to be honest, who would want to stay in the same house as your ex-girlfriend and watch her date other guys? Uh, I don't know, maybe some people would, but I know I don't. That's not my idea of uh, a good time. So, I said no, and I left. Uh, but most of the times uh, I've been with girls, I've had that experience in the last three or four years where I've d gone on a date with somebody, had a really nice time. Uh, they seemed really interested in me, and uh, we had a, a lovely evening. And I say, you know, I'd like to take you out again. They're like, yeah, that would be lovely. Let's do it again. And then when every time I contact them, yeah, no, 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 sorry, no, no, I'm not interested, no, sorry. Uh, you know, oh, again, this has come up, and I'm not available, or I can't because this is happening. And then I say, okay, well, you know, oh, maybe another time. And I've learned, uh, and this is the, the one thing that someone said to me, and it's absolutely true. If you are dating somebody and you say to them, hey, you know, I would like to go out again. Can we go out again? Uh, and they say, no, I'm busy right now. And leave it at that, then they're not interested. But if they say, oh, I'd love to, but I'm busy this week. Can we maybe get together next week or the week after? That means, yeah, they are busy, but they also do have interest in you, and they do want to go out with you again. They just don't have the time right now. That's when you know you're in a relationship or you're in a potential relationship, and it's when they say they're busy but don't give you an alternative, then there's no interest whatsoever. They're not interested in you, and they have no interest in you, and that's, that's done. So, knowing that, I now adjust my lifestyle and uh, my dating habits to reflect that. Because the last girl I, I went out on a, a date with thought I had a great time, thought things were working out. Uh, every time I asked her out after that, she said she was busy. The last thing she said to me was uh, she was uh, not able to date anybody. She just didn't have the time to date anybody. And then a, a month later, I saw her uh, on a date with somebody. So, or not even that, I think maybe like a week or two after that, I saw her on a date, on a date with somebody, and I thought, okay, clearly you are interested in dating, but just not interested in dating me. And for me, that was, uh, it, was a, it was a slap in the face, and it was really sad. But, um, you know, now, knowing the fadeaway now, I know that they just didn't have the heart to tell me that they didn't want to go out with me again, and there was nothing wrong with me. They just didn't see me that way. And that's fine. You know, be honest with me and I'll be honest with you. And that's the way I've always been. I, I always believe honesty is the best policy. Most of the time. I can't say that I'm not uh, the kind of person that wouldn't do something like that myself. Because I know once or twice I have done it with somebody that uh, I didn't feel anything for and I did just disappear. So I can't say that I'm not that kind of a person. But uh, in my in my maturity... I have become that person. In my maturity, I have said, uh, I'm not interested in doing that anymore. I'm not, I don't want to be the person that treats someone like that. I want to be the kind of person that engages with somebody and, you know, is honest about things. And uh, I, I sometimes am too honest about things. And I, I uh, when I was married to somebody, uh, I learned to lie simply because telling the truth sometimes was not working out because anything I said that was the truth got me in a lot of trouble even though it wasn't meant to be um, as an example uh, you know I would say something that I did but I didn't do anything that was wrong I just did something and they took it wrong 
and the problem was is that by doing that, uh, they made a mountain out of a molehill. Um, but then again, my my ex was um, was very troubled in that respect. I think a lot of guys that she dated cheated on her, and so she was very suspect that she would be cheated on with me all the time. So she did not have a very good time with me, and that we did fight a lot because of that. Um, because she constantly thought that, yeah, you're a nice guy, but you're going to cheat on me like everybody else did. And uh, I, I felt I felt bad about that. But um, I had to learn to lie about things because if I told her the truth about some things, uh, she would take it the wrong way, think that I was cheating on her or think I was lying about something. Or I might have said something about her to somebody else and she would take offense to that because she thought that I was saying something bad about her, but I was just simply stating a fact. Anyway, um, up until then, I've always been brutally honest with people. And um, I also didn't understand, because uh, a couple of girls that I dated uh, after my girlfriend in high school uh, would say to me that they weren't interested in going steady with me, but they still wanted to be with me. And when you have low self-esteem, uh, everything is black and white. You know, you either do or you don't. You have or you haven't. You will or you won't. And when girls would say to me, uh, you know, I don't really want to go steady with you, I'd be like, oh, okay, so then you don't want to date me. They're like, no, I want to date you. I just don't want to be your steady partner. And I'd be confused because I thought, well, you either want to be with me or you don't. You either want to date me or you, I'm just me, or you don't. Because you can't have it any other way. It has to be black and white. And it's not. It, it never is. Nothing is ever black and white. Well, I mean, maybe some things can be black and white, but for the most part, uh, emotionally, a lot of people are not black and white. They're, you know, shades of gray. And it's something I never understood until now. So that was very confusing, uh, going on dates with people and, and feeling like I wanted to be in a relationship with them and said, hey, I really want to be in a relationship with you. Can we really, you know, be in a relationship? And uh, they're like, no, but uh, I still want to go out with you. Okay. Uh, I don't get that. So it was very difficult uh, dealing with that, uh, with low self-esteem and, and going through this whole uh, phase of having girls say they want to date me, but they don't want to be, they don't want to, 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 to be exclusively dating me. And that was uh, really weird to figure out. Uh, you know, especially because one time I said to this girl, I said, do you want to go steady with me? Uh, and be, you know, be my partner kind of thing, uh, you know, and this was just in high school, and she said no, and then she kissed me, and I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense, because you just kissed me after saying you don't want to be with me, so what is it? Is it, you know, it's well, got to be one or the other, uh, but the truth is, what they said was, you know, I want to be with you, but I don't want to be your only, I just want to be with you, so, uh, like, can we just date? I didn't understand this, what they meant. Because to me, if I said, do you want to be steady? And they said, no, they, that meant they weren't interested in me whatsoever. So I was very confused by that. And I kind of walked away from it. So, and as I've said before, well, the one girl I dated, uh, you know, she said she wanted to have hot sex. And I said, well, did you want me to leave so you can call somebody? Because I didn't think she'd want to have hot sex with me. So, you know, why would she even mention it? So, um, you know, that's that's the thing about having low self-esteem. Um, now, going from love to comedy, 
it's the same thing for comedy that it is for love with someone with a low self-esteem. And I have a feeling that a lot of comedians feel the same way. Uh, because with comedy, you base everything on the last show you did. And a lot of people uh, that I know that are comedians will say the same thing, is that uh, your self-worth depends on the last show you did. You are the last show you did. So if your last show was really good, you can sometimes ride that for a couple of weeks before it sort of collapses. Whereas if your shows have been bad for the last three or four shows, um, you sometimes think about quitting comedy because you've had really bad shows and it doesn't seem to be like, uh, it doesn't seem like anything is worth doing. Uh, so I know for myself for the last little while, uh, I haven't really felt like doing comedy much because the open mics in my uh, community, um, they're changing. And the amount of clubs that, uh, a lot of places that do the shows, uh, it's a lot of uh, people that are new to the scene and they've changed how they do comedy and they've changed how things work. And I feel like I'm fighting again to, to get on the open mics. Now, when I, I started in, in, the, in the community in the city, I had a lot of trouble getting on the open mics. Uh, I, you know, I, I would do a lot of the same material, but I really hadn't sat down to write. And then one of the, one of the open mic managers said to me, you know, I like having you on my show, but you need to write more material because you're doing the same jokes for the last two months. And I said, okay, fair enough. And I tried to think of some jokes, but nothing really came to mind. And then, you know, that was the only room that would have me on anyway. And uh, it seemed like everybody else, when I asked to be on their shows, they said, no, not this week. Or, no, uh, try again. And, uh, we're busy right now. We don't have the time. And I just gave up and said, I can't keep asking. And I'm, I'm not going to keep asking. So I gave up. And then I got to do shows with this fellow uh, who invited me to do shows with him. And I would travel around the provinces doing shows with him. And he basically said to me, that we're going to be doing shows and we have to fill a 90-minute show. So the more material I do, the less material he has to do because he has 90 minutes of comedy. But if he puts me on and I do 30 minutes, he only has to do an hour. If he puts me on and I do 45 minutes, he only has to do 45 minutes. So the idea was try for me to write more material because the more material I write, the less he has to perform and the more even it is for him. So instead of me having just five minutes of material, because I had three to five minutes at the most, I now was building up to uh, you know 10 minutes, then 15 minutes, then 20 minutes, until eventually I was headlining the shows and I was doing 45 minutes. And he only had to do uh, the rest of the show 45 minutes. Or if we had other people, they would fill the time before I went up and headlined. And uh, that's how I, I improved. And then when that happened... Uh, I started having more time to do more open mics and people would have me on to do open mics because I'd improved to the point where they thought, okay, you're, you're getting a lot better and we would really like to have you on our shows. And then things changed and I still, I couldn't get on the shows again. You know, uh, new people took over, new rooms were created. Those people wanted their friends on the shows. They didn't want me on the shows. And I was fighting again, and I said, well, you know what, I've got this other stuff to back up on. Don't care anymore. I'm going to go back on those shows. And then Yuck Yucks came into the, the scene, and I got booked with Yuck Yucks and signed with Yuck Yucks. And I was doing Yuck Yuck shows. I was getting paid a lot more to do shows. I was getting paid to perform uh, in, in, in cities and do professional shows with Yuck Yucks with the moniker of the club behind me, or the logo of the club behind me. I was uh, in posters for clubs that were opening in St. John, and I was... 
uh, you know, I was really enjoying the, the, the whole change of things. And again, uh, still fighting to get onto the open mics, but doing a lot more stuff that I didn't care. And then uh, this last year with COVID, after COVID finished, um, and the open mics were opening up again, uh, again, I'm starting to fight to get on open mics. I'm trying to get on open mics, and I'm told, I'm sorry, but we're booked, or, uh, you know, we have too many comics right now, and I'm thinking, but, you know, I've been in this scene for 12 years, and I don't see why I have to fight to get on the shows. I would think that I would be asked to be on the shows, or at least... Uh, I would be uh, considered someone that you'd like to have on your show because I'm consistently funny. And I do continue to write new material, and I do continue to try new things out. So give me a chance. Give me a shot on the open mic and give it a, give it a try. But I still get, oh, well, we're kind of busy, and we kind of don't have enough room. We've got so many comedians, and we don't have enough space. And as I said before, now with this new thing with me working all the time, it's become a moot point. But... With comedy, you you know you have that re, you need that reassurance. Sometimes you need to get on stage and perform to, in order to you know to show to yourself that you are good, that you do have this skill, and that you can make people laugh and sort of continue that confidence. Now, the nice thing is is that I know now, and I will admit, I am a good comedian. I am funny. I am consistent. And I do a good job. And I can do a good job, not just by parodying music, but by doing impressions, by doing comedy bits in between the songs. It's not just about the songs I do. It is about everything as a package. And so I do, I do admit now that I am a good comedian and that I can be a good comedian and that people do enjoy what I do. And I shouldn't try to, you know, I shouldn't think of myself as a terrible comedian. So I do have that confidence behind me so that in between all these shows, I'm not panicking. I'm not thinking I'm a terrible comedian. I'm not thinking that uh, I'm, it's, I'm not good at this. I'm not feeling that anymore. Now I feel fine. I feel like I am a good comedian and that this is not a waste of time and that I am okay at this. But the one thing that is a problem is, um, you know... Uh, you do need to do what I do, and that is record your sets. Uh, I was talking to a couple of comedians last night after the show, and we talked about this, and I said, because uh, one of the comedians doesn't like to record themselves, and I said, you need to. You have to record yourself because uh, it, it, when you record yourself doing comedy, you do three things. Uh, first of all, you hear how you present a joke, because sometimes when you're on stage, you don't realize how fast you talk because some people are fast talkers naturally and they talk at 90 miles an hour and when they get on stage people lose the joke because you're talking so fast you, you people didn't have a chance to hear what you said so you have to talk slower so by listening to the recordings you can hear how fast you're talking or you hear how you're talking and you can correct anything like that uh, you also hear sometimes you might improvise a bit and it worked out so well, if you've recorded it, you can hear it and go back and continue to do that. Um, so, you know, if you've changed a line or you've made a new joke or something like that, by listening to your routines, you can hear anything you do and you can fix what you've done and uh, or adapt things and put it in your act permanently. So it's always good to record it for those reasons. And the third reason, very, very important for me, is go back and listen to those shows and hear how you did uh, and 
I keep a spreadsheet, and I've mentioned this to a number of comedians, and I, I, it's something I've had to do, is that I keep a spreadsheet that tells me where I've done a show, on what date, what location, who I did the show with, and I also make a point of uh, marking the shows under a point system of bad, good, or mediocre, or meh. Now, the reason I do that is because for the longest time, uh, the first two years I was doing comedy here in, in Halifax and in the Maritimes, I would go and do a bad show or two, and then all I could think of was those bad shows. Like I mentioned before, you do a bad show, and you, all you can think about is, oh, fuck, I did a bad show. It was so terrible. Uh, and I must be the worst comedian ever. Why am I doing this? Why am I continuing to perform when all I do is like, you know, just terrible shows and people hate me? Why would I keep doing this to myself? Well, the truth of the matter is you might do a bad show. You might do two in a row, maybe even three at the most, but they're not always going to be bad. And over the course of a year, you it balances out or sometimes overbalances. So to prove a point to myself, I created a spreadsheet because I do have some skills with Excel, and I created the spreadsheet with all those points on it, and I would take those points on the spreadsheet, and I would tally them up, so at the end of the year, I could look at the tally, and if I did 50 shows, maybe 47 of them, or let's say let's say 40 of them were, were good, three of them were bad, and four of them were mediocre, to make a total of 50 shows, and I realized, okay, you know, I had 40 good shows. I had three bad shows, and I had four of them were okay. They weren't. They weren't that good, and they weren't that bad. So, why do I, you know, why do I focus on the bad ones? Because as a person with low self-esteem, those are the ones you trust. You know, it's it's like that misery loves company, and you you are comfortable with things like misery, where you know where you stand. Well. By doing those spreadsheets, I remind myself that it's not all bad, that there are good shows, that I am a good comedian and I do good things, and that every so often shows will be bad. I remember two or three years ago reading an article where uh, two of these huge comedians that had a very popular show in America, uh, Key and Peele, they had this amazing show that was like a top-rated comedy show in America. And they did these amazing programs. And they went and performed someplace and got booed off the stage. And I thought, wow, how could they get booed off the stage? Like, why would people boo them off the stage? You know? And, you know, there's other mitigating factors, which I hate to consider because Key and Peele, unfortunately, are African-Americans. I would hate to think there was a racist crowd. It might have been. But it also might have been just that they were doing comedy and it wasn't you know, people weren't matching up with it. Or maybe their material was new material they had not done, and maybe people wanted to see them do their stuff from their TV show, and they were doing stuff that was meant more for the live crowd. doesn't matter. The number one thing about it all is that um, these people were booing uh, two of the top comedians in, in the country, and even they can have a bad night. And that's what I had to say to myself. Even they can have a bad night. Not everybody has perfect nights all the time you know and so the spreadsheet reminded me of that the whole uh way of doing things going forward reminds me of that and the recordings remind me of that by having those recordings uh i can go back and listen to shows that i've done and because i've got the tally of what shows were good and what shows are bad and what shows are mediocre i can go back and listen to those shows and i can remind myself 
that these are good times and that those will continue, that those kind of shows will continue on. As long as I keep at what I'm doing and practicing and uh, doing my best to write new material all the time. And the fact that I'm working all the time doesn't stop me from writing. It just stops me from performing. But every so often I will have the opportunity to perform and I'll do what I can and I'll keep trying new stuff out and keep adding new stuff to the list it's amazing how much I have done over the last 12 years uh, and that there are some bits, uh, comedy bits that I used to do that I haven't done in a long time there are some comedy bits that I uh, probably will do in the future that I don't even know about Um, there are songs that I've written there are parodies I've done uh, and it all changes over 12 years, and it'll continue to change as it goes along. And I have no reason to stop doing it. You know, I, I'm sort of not doing it because of the work situation, but I'm continuing to do comedy, even when I'm at work and I make people laugh. Um, it's it's all good. So, anyway, um, let's see how much time I've got left here. Just not sure how long I've been talking for. Almost an hour. That's a lot longer than the last time I did. Uh, I think what I'll do is I will stop here for now. This has been a very long conversation. I didn't realize it's been an hour. Um, So I will say again, uh, Carrie's Carversations is at gmail.com. So Carrie's Carversations at gmail.com is the website or the email to get in touch with me. If you have any questions or if you have anything you want to say about the show, thanks for listening and carrying that on Uh, if you want to be on the show if you're a friend of mine and you want to be on the show and uh, come with me for a drive somewhere then great let me know Uh, with the the new situation with work uh, when I did my first conversations recording it was a long time ago probably uh, about uh, three or four weeks ago and when that happened I had a lot more time on my hands uh, so tonight just happens to be an, a night when I can safely enjoy driving around and not worry about going to work because uh, on Monday, it's a holiday Monday, there is no work other than my regular work, which won't happen until 11 o'clock at night. So I had all this time to drive and uh, to have a conversation. So uh, I don't know when the next show will be. I don't know when the next recording will be. Do what I can when I can, and I hope that uh, to be able to continue this on. Thanks very much for listening, and uh, have a good night.